Welcome to the final installment of New Books in Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbook of Palooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. I'm grateful that, for three years now, I have been able to bring you a broad sampling of the exciting, short-form works contemporary poets are creating. I've been surprised by how varied the voice, content, and forms are. This year was no exception. And I can think of no better poet to close out the festival and bring us home than Margaret Bashar. Margaret Bashar's first book of poetry, stationed near the gateway, was released by Sundress Publications in early 2015. She has chapbooks from Grey Book Press, Blood Pudding Press, Tilt Press, and most recently from Agape Editions. Her poetry has appeared in many literary journals and anthologies, including New South, Cake Train, The Southeast Review, Copper Nickel, and Menacing Hedge, among others. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she edits Hyacinth Girl Press and encourages art anarchy. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. So before we start talking about the collection, I would like to to touch upon the fact that you and Agape Press have made this chapbook available to the public for free. Can you tell us about the thinking behind this decision? Um, Well, I'm really excited to actually get to have an e-chapbook, a free e-chapbook, because I've previously all of my collections have come out in print and, you know, I run a press that does like handmade print chapbooks. So obviously, like, I love um, being able to like hold poetry in my hand, but um, one of the things that I really, really love about how um, Agape Editions runs their Morning House eChapbook series is that I feel like um, Fox, Frazier, Foley, and I are really both very, very committed to this idea of trying to root out the classism that we both see as part of like as part of the whole like poetry business world. Mm-hmm. And I feel like making a chapbook available for free on the internet is a really good way to do that because so often um, I know there that I don't really know very many wealthy poets. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know, I think that making work both like beautiful because one of the things that Agape is really good at is making sure that all of the chapbooks are like very very beautiful to look at and to read um but at the same time also making it available to anybody who wants to read it I don't know I think that the more that we can make poetry available the more that we can encourage people to engage with poetry and the more we can enable people who want to engage with poetry to do so. Mm, I completely agree. Um, So let's hear one of the poems. Would you please read Football Season on page four? Football Season. I am a princess, big city girl, face crowded with sunlight and smog. This steel skyline knows me for a toothache and I have straddled its rivers all three at once, while you dress your son with the name of their most infamous rapist. Woman, how can you worship that muscle, that stink of alcohol sweat, that skull-cracked mouth? Our sons, if any, should be the ones who understand no. 
Thank you. Um, I feel an urgency throughout this collection. How long did it take you to complete these pieces, and what was at the forefront of your mind while writing them? Um, well, other than one particular poem in this collection, I think I wrote the entirety of this chapbook in the space of about a week. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I, I guess that's possibly where part of that sense of urgency comes from is that all of these poems were all written sort of like one after the other, after the other, after the other. Um, and I really was writing them when I was in a space of not to sound like too super dramatic about it, but mm -hmm. a space of despair almost at, um, my relationships with other women and in particular with other women who also uh, would refer to themselves as as feminists as I do um, because I was I was feeling and still to a certain extent I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about it now <laughs> I was feeling a certain fraughtness um, in my relationships with with women and with women in the arts world um and these poems kind of came out of that i think primarily and they came out of my sense of not always feeling like i am necessarily the best poster child for feminism as a lot of people perhaps would define or label feminism hmm. And these poems also sort of came from the kind of culmination of all of those feelings together. And the process with them, I was, the process with them was really just, they wouldn't, I, I couldn't stop writing them, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, I was supposed to give a poetry reading, and I was just really not super duper excited about reading anything that I had already written at that point. So I was like, well, I feel like I need to write these poems anyway. So I'm just going to like write all these poems and then just read whatever I write. Maybe it'll be terrible. <laughs> um, or maybe it'll be great. It's like, but it's just one poetry reading, you know, it's not going to make or break me. Yeah. Um, and I wrote all of these poems and then, and I, and I did read them at the reading and they were, um, interestingly received, I mean, positively received, but, but interestingly, because, one of the things that I've realized with this collection of poems is that it does seem to make people kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I've been very fortunate in that a lot of the people who I am acquainted with in the world of poetry and the arts actually value when art makes them uncomfortable a bit. Yes. And so I've been very fortunate in that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on these poems because of people seeing that sort of like sense of uncomfortableness and mm -hmm. responding to it. Mm. I hadn't known that that was the impetus behind this, but it complicates it in a really cool way because I always think of good feminist as an extension of good girl and fuck that because we're human yeah. and we all inhabit these different spaces in different ways and there's no such thing as the best way to be a feminist or even the best way to be a racist. But, <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> so let's hear another one. Um, would you please read There Is Really No Such Thing As Winning on page 12? 
there is really no such thing as winning. Every lover you will ever have takes a plaster cast of your face, paints a mask of you. We're all in somebody's closet, disembodied, kabukied, echoed voice just waiting to come out. We design sets and are designed for them. We burn theaters down in each city we open our legs. Salt the earth, curse the ground, summon ghosts to your high school boyfriend's childhood bedroom. You will never win this land war. Run and fuck and run and fuck and call it making love. But I know you and I know me and neither of us is Russia, you cunt. Thank you. That's one of my favorites, this collection. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your creative process. It can be as simple as what puts you at the desk, how many revisions you go through. I know that you mentioned you write in bursts. Um, yeah. But what is what is your process like? Um, I never force myself to write. I know there's this sort of popular um, idea that we should all like sit down and write every day or we should make ourselves write even when we don't feel like it. And I, um, I guess I'm a little bit too much of a hedonist for that. <laughs> um, so I write when it makes me happy to do so and when I feel compelled to do so. And so that's kind of why my work tends to come out in these like large bursts because that's what makes me happy. Like the act of creation that feels unforced. So I'll sometimes go anywhere between like, oh man, uh, <laughs> embarrassingly long periods of time, anywhere from like a month to sometimes up to like nine months without writing anything new. And then I will spend one month writing like 60 poems mm -hmm. and, or even like a shorter period of time writing that many poems. And it's, and that, so then that, you know, the, drawback of that is that I'm not constantly like creating new work, but I don't necessarily know if I think that that's necessary. If what I'm writing doesn't feel like I need to be writing it, then I just don't write it. Mm -hmm. um, so that does though give me this, these large swaths of time when I'm not writing anything new that does allow me to go back and revise and revise and tweak and revise and tweak and revise. And I guess, I've noticed that my process tends to be that I write all these poems all at once and then I spend that like month to nine months when I'm not writing anything new, like slowly, slowly honing and revising what I did write in that very short, very like dramatic period of time. And it enables me to really fully give birth to each set of poems, whether it becomes like a chapbook or just whatever, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It helps me really give myself over fully to the work that really matters to me mm -hmm. when I'm writing it all at once like that. And then like carefully, carefully, like helping it make its way out into the world. If that's what's meant to happen with those poems through like a long methodical, but not always super methodical <laughs> process of revision. And I also, one of the things that I really enjoyed about working on this particular group of poems was that um, 
Fox is a really amazing editor mm-hmm. uh, and a very like hands-on kind of editor. So like if you're the kind of person who really enjoys having an editor go like line by line with you <laughs> through your poems, like Fox is somebody who's like great to work with <laughs> because I had sort of hit a point with a couple of these poems where I was like, well, I feel like something more needs to be worked on with them, but like I've kind of hit a wall with how far I by myself can go with them. Mm-hmm. And Fox and also Jasmine were very, very instrumental in helping some of these poems go from being like, you know, like pretty, pretty good poems to being, I feel like really good poems. Like the one that I just read was one that um, we all three of us like really worked on to get it to be what it absolutely needs to be as like the final poem in the collection. And, and so I've also, I will say that while I don't tend to do a lot of workshopping, Mm -hmm. um, I do value the feedback of my editors. Like I also had a pretty good set of like revision process, um, when my, with my full length book with Sundress and I, I will, I, don't always do I don't really workshop terribly often but there are like a few people whose opinion on my work in particular I particularly value and that also seems to tend to be part of that process for me is like I take the poem as far as I can or the group of poems as far as I can and then often I'll then be like here do you want to look at this now tell me what I screwed up because I think there's only so much perspective we can have on our own work Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it highlights the importance of community and collaboration when it comes to art. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so for the final poem, would you please read The Seduction of Snakes on page two? The Seduction of Snakes. Every woman I know has a snake inside her, twisting beneath the skin at her temple, orbrising through the ventricles of her heart. This isn't some sisterhood bullshit, some wannabe salvation for Eve, some half-assed claim that before God grew a cock, there was no war, because I know there is violence in all of us. Don't try to tell me I wouldn't slice a thing open to watch it die, that if my teeth were full of venom, I wouldn't bite down on your arm hard enough to burst through skin and watch the wound blacken. But that's not a bad thing, girl. Here. I'll still put my fingers in your hair, still press my lips to your neck. Never mind the pool, never mind the slap and bite. Thank you. Um, Is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners about Hyacinth Girl Press? Um, Poetry Chatbook Press. uh, I hand make all the books, just me, by myself, (laughs) in my my office. Um, I have been running Hyacinth Girl Press with my best friend since the second grade, Sarah Reck, uh, for about seven years now. And uh, Sarah is, uh, is our fiction editor and uh, does all the layout and design and um, is now doing a lot of our cover art as well. So I, I like to joke that Sarah is about two thirds of the press and my better half. <laughs> um, but I do all of the uh, poetry. I do all of the like physical book design and I do all of the um, printing and book construction. And so we, I think that the two of us make a pretty, pretty excellent team together. And I try to make books that are 
beautiful and can be looked at as kind of as art books, but that are also affordable. Uh, I try to like people are always like, oh, you should charge more for your chat books. I'm like, well, I could charge more for my chat books, but I have like morals I'm trying to maintain. <laughs> and um, it's, it's not always like the easiest thing to maintain this like set of ideals of trying to like make poetry as accessible as possible and simultaneously run a poetry press that relies on people buying chapbooks of poetry. Mm-hmm. But uh, after about, you know, seven years of doing it, we're doing, we're doing pretty well at this point with it. And um, I also, we also recently sort of got over the past year and a half, like a lot more attention than I was really prepared for because this um, book vlogger who has like, a YouTube channel where she reviews books uh, named Jen Campbell who actually she does really awesome book review videos on YouTube and everybody should look her up. Mm-hmm. She did a review of Lauren Eggert Crow's chapbook, the exhibit where she said it was the best book that she had read in 2015. Wow. And apparently uh, her followers take that very, very seriously. <laughs> so uh, we've ended up with a lot more attention over the past year and a half or so uh, than I had ever sort of dreamed that I would get mm-hmm. and I'm very very grateful for that and I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure that I attempt to become more intersectional in terms of what I publish and I'm I'm trying to be more conscious of where my press is existing in the world and mm-hmm how I'm, you know, how I'm promoting poetry and what I'm promoting and how what I publish and what I put out into the world and what I nurture, how it, at this point, sort of like, in its own very small way, and I'm not to sound too self-important, how it affects the poetry landscape. Mm-hmm. Because it all does affect the poetry landscape. Curators, whether they be of journals or of spaces or of presses, have a responsibility to the community, and it's awesome that you're taking that seriously. I'm, I'm trying to. I feel like for the first few years that I published, I didn't do that as well as I could have, and I'm working to be a, a better editor and a better sort of um, a better curator and a better um, community member. And I, don't know, I really, I love doing it. I love making books. Like it, it's hugely and enormously time consuming. And sometimes it means that books don't like ship out the day they're ordered. <laughs> but um, it's really, really fun for me. I love, I love making things. That's one of the things that I've, I love like gardening and I love making books. Like anything where I can like feel like I'm producing something cool and beautiful and useful. It always makes me very, very happy. So, you know, making pretty little books of poetry is this brings me a lot of joy well it's awesome i'm glad that you're getting the well-deserved attention (laughs) i feel feel bashful about it all the time basically (laughs) (laughs) well thank you margaret for sharing your writing with us and for all the good work you do in the literary community thank you so much for having me this is this is fun i I like i like talking about poetry so (laughs) me too Happy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. Mm-hmm.